Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is season three of Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. What are you doing there, Charlie? Sorry. A biscuit. <laughs> Excuse me. I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. Eat it right into the microphone. Okay. I'm going to make some slightly sexy noises as well. Oh, God, like that. This week, we're talking to the comedian Tom Ward and his sister, Charlie Ward. Do you remember Mark the murderer? And Leon was was the sort of the more Bible-based person who sat between us and neighbours. I only remember the murderer because that was exciting and we had a killer in our house. But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. In my mind, I think she was okay. She wasn't going to hell because somehow she'd already been saved even though she'd left the church. And I was very concerned about that. I was very concerned that everyone had to be saved. I think we're kindreds. I think we've had that thing that brought us in close, but then there's so much. It's a gift what was what was given to us. I was saying, Tommy, that that kind of forged our friendship. Yeah, I said that too. It's almost like we had a similar experience. <laughs> It almost came from the same womb, something. And in a new twist, I'll be delving a little further back with the help of our sponsors, Find My Past, the family history experts. And Granny's the... the what the came of that? Yes, yeah. Muriel Catherine. So Muriel's parents were 70 and 24? Yes. Oh, my God. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Tom and Charlie grew up in London with parents whose extreme religious beliefs affected the siblings profoundly. It's the main thing we talk about, actually. Although climate change activism, comedy, Harold and Mad from Neighbours and Teenage Rebellion also get a mention. Charlie started by explaining their nicknames and telling me about a recent brush with the law. I am Charlie Ward, sometimes called Charlotte by my mum and the police and <laughs> more recently the magistrates um and i am the older sister by four years of my dear brother tom ward hello my name is tom ward and i am charlie's little brother by four and a half years i call her charlotte sometimes i call her charlotte i put a dash between the char and the lot uh i just think it's such a stupid name isn't it charlotte it's just so silly is it it's just it just sounds ridiculous I call him Tommy mm. and always have done, which just reminds me of a London cab driver, actually. It doesn't. Yeah, but it does suit him. I love I love him with that name. And then he calls me Charlotte. <laughs> Charlotte. Yeah. Um, I think her mum had a mate who said Charlotte. There was a woman who is the mother of one of my mates. And she doesn't sound like that. He spoofs her coming up the stairs to ask for her rent. Charlotte, I've come about the rent. <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, Charlotte. Charlotte. <laughs> and um, yeah, I had that to the burger and chirps, which she may have told you about as well. No. Is, I suspect also I heard a woman say that 
in a market. I want to get a burger and chirps. So <laughs> that's stuck. That's been there for 20 years rattling in my head. It's good that the useful information stays though, isn't it? That's <laughs> yeah. what I always think. Well, you know I'm going to ask why you've been in touch with the magistrates. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got arrested for climate action. Um, I got sat down in front of a bus um, on Oxford Circus with a dear friend. We put our arms in a pipe and then, yeah, held up traffic for a number of hours. And I got put in Brixton Nick eventually. Is climate action something that Tom does with you? What it is, is we talk about it a lot and then he supports me in what I do. He's, I would say, more the background guy. And, and obviously he talks about it on stage as well. She's got involved in it in the last, what, three years, I reckon, maybe more. And she goes to the protests and really enjoys it and uh, wears all the Extinction Rebellion badges and holds the placards. And I basically can't stand all that stuff. I just die inside whenever I'm in a crowd shouting about anything, even if I agree completely with the sentiment. But yeah, no, I fully, fully support her and, and I'm grateful that she does it. And I give her my room if she wants to stay here and I look after her when she comes and take her out for breakfast and make her smoothies and stuff and uh, give her a little pat on the head. I'm glad that she's doing it because I just don't want to do it. So where does that come from then? Is it something that your family have believed? Are you like kids of original hippies or is it something you've grasped yourself? So, you know, there's this whole thing of people going around in the West saying, oh, well, I do the recycling. <laughs> and my mum always did the recycling. Um, but it was before everyone was doing it. And we went to the dump. So there was that consciousness about waste and trying to sustain things as long as possible. And dad was quite skint. So there was also that thing of hand-me-downs and jumble sales and just being quite economic and frugal. But I think it might be a bit of a hangover from our apocalyptic Christian upbringing as well. It's like the end of the world. It's, it sort of maps quite well onto that, the idea of like the end of something, which in fact it is. So, uh, yeah, I think it's it's been in our psyche, as it were, in our in our family psyche. What I love about um, interviewees like you is that I ask you a question and then it's almost like you give me a multiple choice answer. It's like, well, you could either go down this really fascinating avenue or this one or this one. So I'm going to try and remember them all in my mind um, to pursue them. So tell me a a little bit more about um, your mum and dad. The way you said it, it sounded like they might be separate, but maybe they weren't. They're separate now in that our dad has passed away, which was in 2006. I'm sorry. Um, in that sense, they are, although they think they're going to be reunited in heaven. So that's why dad didn't get a cremation, because he thinks he's going to rise from the dead in physical form. He was very literal. And I think I'm understanding now because I'm studying to be a psychotherapist that that he had some autistic traits. So so his brand of evangelical Christianity is quite binary. Are you asking me what our, their relationship was like? or Well, it was just the way you said that dad was frugal. It sounded like a separate thing. Yeah. That's all. But maybe they were together until he passed they away, were. obviously. Yeah, yeah, they were. So he left, in, in effect, but he just left by the more traditional method, maybe rather than divorcing her. But yeah, they, they, we were definitely the product of a, what shall I say, like a, a bumpy connection. OK. So, so tell me about being raised by evangelical Christian parents. How did that sort of look? It looked on the outside quite harmless. So it's also two people who were quite distinct. So dad was definitely the fundamentalist and mum was more the, she's really practical. She's a nurse and she's very traditional. And I think she's not really 
someone who goes into the ideas too much. And dad was really fixated on the ideas and very worried. We were praying for mum to become a born again Christian from when I was about eight. Yeah, she was into it. She was into it. I think she might have even nudged me towards Jesus. I remember there being a sort of a ripple of excitement through the, the church hall as I came in and said that I was ready to turn my life over to Jesus when I was eight. But everyone was smiling and celebrating. It was good news, you know. I didn't quite know what was happening or really what that meant, but I'd said the right words, and that meant that I was now saved. And everyone seemed so happy, so I just assumed it was a good thing. Uh, and, yeah, we were at church in Wimbledon. It was in a Swiss new building that they'd moved into a few doors down. And I remember it costing a million pounds to make. And I, I was obsessed with that. It cost a million pounds. I just thought, wow, <laughs> that means it must be real. This Jesus thing must be real. It all kind of culminated when I was a teenager, when I was 14, 15, with our grandfather dying. And she had converted to biblical Christianity, which had appalled her mother. And they'd fallen out before she could be reunited with her father, which I think was terribly, a terrible blow for her. We had a kind of succession of what I'd call quite fairly major traumas. So mum left the church, fell out with her parents, her father died, and then, and then we got involved with a cult. And yeah, so it wasn't Waco, it was Waco without the guns and without the fire and the feds, but it was yeah, Jesus was coming back. And this was the mid 90s. I was going to be doing my GCSEs. And we'd left the church because we'd sort of basically clustered around a much more, a much stricter brand of Christianity, which involved even less people going to heaven. And we needed to tell everyone about Jesus coming back to earth. I basically just towed the line, really, whatever my dad told me to think or say, I did it. And by the time I became suspicious or sceptical or bored, then the sort of fear element was used more so there was more of a kind of you do know what will happen to you after you die if you don't do this right and that would come at me at sort of bedtime and then I'd it would sort of send me into a bit of a tailspin and then I'd say can we stop talking please and then gradually I just I couldn't couldn't really cope so I had panic attacks and charged around the house and in and out of rooms kind of beside myself at this idea of hell and and me and my dad really fell for it and I was really in cahoots with him and then mum was much more like can we all just calm down a bit and Tommy was also really anti these people but me and dad they and what it was is it started as three French three Parisians like a couple and their little baby Mm. and first of all we were sheltering them for dad's friend Sybil who he'd had a massive crush on at school who was like she's nuts and she had this big house in Wimbledon and she was like she couldn't fit any more missionaries in so she said oh can they come to you and dad's like yeah of course (laughs) and so they they came along and then they said oh we've got some friends and we're missionaries and we're working through Europe and there's some people in Switzerland that need to come and then and then before you knew it there was this guy Mark who was it turned out he'd been a murderer he'd he'd uh, like well I say murderer he was convicted of killing someone whilst drink driving in South Africa and we were like yeah 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 I mean you know he'd served his time and all this sort of stuff and then got you know got this heavy brand of Christianity whilst he was in prison but we my brother pointed it out recently he said you know Mark was a murderer so (laughs) we spent a lot of time sort of laughing and so they all came and lived in your house yeah and we had a three and a half bedroom suburban house in Wimbledon yeah I mean it almost sounds like 
you're just sort of inventing it as as you're saying it. It sounds so mad. So if you were in cahoots with your dad, I mean, that sound in cahoots sounds like you knew what you were doing. But I, I would hazard a guess that as a teenager, you're very impressionable. You didn't really know what was going on. Maybe yeah, teenagers right. don't. <laughs> yeah, but then did, did it cause problems between you and Tom if he was like, no, thanks. And you were like, mm, yes, please. So this was just before Tom and I formed what I'd say is like the bond we have now. What happened was these people left unceremoniously because our pastor from church came around, prayed in tongues, which then revealed that the the head of this organisation, who was a very unprepossessing man called Leon, he was short. He had really bad acne scars and thick, greasy glasses. I don't remember Leon. So that's that's a start. I presume Leon was before my time or was her Sunday school teacher. I have no clue who Leon was. Um... And he used to sit down in front of the TV when we were trying to watch Neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd be like, you can't watch this in his thick French accent uh, because it's um, premarital sex. It's condoning premarital sex. It's very jumpy about sex. Charlene um, did not know what she was mayhem she was creating in Wimbledon, did she? <laughs> Mrs. Mangle was more on the money, but Charlene had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Good old Mrs. Mangle and Harold. Harold Bishop, Madge. Um, Get Tom to do his Madge impression. I certainly Um, will. Harold! Sort of emphysema and Rothmans. Yeah. Harold. I haven't, I haven't, I don't don't know how she talks. That sounds like a wounded frog. It's more like, Harold! It's more like, Harold! Harold! I haven't done it since, what, the 90s. I don't even remember doing it. Harold! Harold! Ah, Madge. No. Didn't he play the trumpet or the trumpet? No. Boom, 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 boom. He had quite a wobbly chin, didn't he? He had a really sweet little chin. Thank you. And my day is made. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about silly voices earlier because Leon, the man, you couldn't remember who he was, Tom, was apparently, according to Charlie, the weird leader of the weird missionaries from France who came and lived in your sitting room. Yes, yes. Remember Mark Mark the murderer? And Leon was was the sort of the more Bible-based person who sat between us and neighbours. I only remember the murderer because that was exciting that we had a killer in our house who was now trying to save (laughs) us and take us to South Africa. Our dad was completely nuts. You know, he was manic, depressive. He had breakdowns, more than one. He ran a business and he was the most ludicrous businessman. He just... He was an accountant, which is like guaranteed to press the money button and he couldn't make it work. He, you know, he was very uh, eccentric and he, he was lovely. He was mm. so lovable. And then he had these appalling beliefs, which meant that he it made him very inflexible. And he's sort of following the book rather than his feeling. It was in constant battle with himself, you know. Sorry, what were you going to say? No, well, that leads me to a different question, really, which is so you... Your childhood was one of like impending sort of danger, whether it was like unpredictable parental behaviour, people being cast into hell, people being in touch with each other or not in touch with each other, weird people coming and living in your house. That is not, that's not a safe emotional environment for any child. No. It's very funny, though, isn't it? You just rattling it off like that. That was really funny. It's not, I mean, yeah. I mean, the Leon and the neighbours detail is funny, but it, it's not really funny. It's it's no. actually quite frightening for a small person, I would think. And at, at 14, you think you're very, very old and you're really not. Yeah, you're right. And I think what you said earlier as well is that you don't really know what's going on as a teenager. 
like as in you think you've got an idea a handle on stuff but I well I I don't think I did I knew the bible very well and I knew how to talk the talk can you still recite all the books of the bible what Mm. as in the 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 full from start to end I mean you don't have to but could you Mm, I, Charlie's I probably, probably could. more. I'm a bit more swatty than Tom. Go on, give it and a I go. I read the New Test. I read the New Testament twice. Go on then. Matthew. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts, Corinthians. Oh, it's quite nice not to know actually. Philippians. Yeah. Philippians, Colossians, Timothy, Titus. Two lots of Peter. <laughs> One's mm. not enough. No. <laughs> yeah, the Acts of the Apostles and Corinthians were really heavy in our mix because it's all like marriage and sex and Paul was just a grumpy bugger who didn't really yeah he wasn't wasn't very nice about women and we internalized all of that or I did anyway was he anti-bumming very anti-bumming he <laughs> said it common, do not I bum <laughs> do not bum he said <laughs> other orifices or- 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 were fine Fisting as long as, as they've well been contractually fine. locked in <laughs> locked in orifices <laughs> absolutely fine <laughs> This season of Relatively is sponsored by Find My Past, the online home of the 1921 census. In 1921, life in England and Wales could be tough, but there are lots of examples of humour in the census records. Constance Bernard Fitzhammond listed her three young children's occupations as getting into mischief and getting into more mischief, and for her 11-month-old baby, occupying feeding bottles. Did your grandparents add a quirky note when they completed the census? View the record itself at findmypass.co.uk to find out. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Catherine described it as quite dangerous, emotionally and otherwise, our household. Yes. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. The word dangerous has definitely changed in the culture, hasn't it, in the recent years? But yeah, by modern standards, it's dangerous. It was dangerous. It was emotionally violent, mm. reckless. Yeah, it was very confusing because there's a lot of um, learning how to not trust my feelings, which is the work I've had to do as a grown up or as a person emerging from that is to no, 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 learn to trust to trust myself first and to love myself which is another thing that with sin it's very easy to fall into a self-hate sort of spiral well I suppose churches like that are often grace light aren't they yeah yeah sin and sin heavy yeah um yeah yeah and I think Charlie said something really interesting which I've 
you know, I've heard um, other people who've left organised religion say, which is about learning to trust your own instincts and your own emotions and being in a situation where you're constantly sort of divorced from your own emotions and told to listen to people who are sort of patently a bit nuts. That Mm. is quite dangerous because then you grow up to be an adult without that skill that seems quite central to me. Yeah. (laughs) But you wouldn't end up be doing comedy if you hadn't had that. So, you know, you have to weigh it up. (laughs) You get to, you get to go on stage every night and, live this perverse lifestyle where everyone thinks you're really cool and in control but actually you're frantically paddling under the surface i think charlie started calling it a cult i remember and i remember thinking is it was it a cult but i guess it's just a very suburban version of a netflix series you know the thing about a netflix series is that that it's usually the people are separated off from society they're on a a commune or a you know some sort of place off grid and then things happen off grid whereas ours was in plain sight and was was in the world which which is usually sort of seems less like a cult but the the essential doctrines were the same weren't they charlie it wasn't like absolutely but dad wasn't humping all the women at church and trying to have babies and saying that he was the messenger as far as we know as far as we know um i mean we don't know what catherine might have found out yeah, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> no, nothing. I just think that sometimes something that's in plain sight and is only three degrees away from something that's accepted and normal can be more pernicious. Yeah, I quite agree. And it also that it was terrible. Once I left, there's no one I could talk to apart from Tommy, who was the only person who understood. Because at school, it's just too weird. So you weren't allowed to watch Neighbours because there was the leader of a cult living downstairs in your sitting room, and you and <laughs> and you and just to recap, and you and Tom were slightly at um, not loggerheads, but you know had different positions about when and where Jesus was going to come back. Is that fair yeah, well, up some? I found out much later that he never really loved Jesus, whereas I was in love with him, and Tommy. And I were not, I would say like, we, you know, he, he was my brother. But at this point, I was, he was much younger than me. It's a really big age gap at that age between like, you know, 15 and, and 11. Yeah. Because what happened is then this cult, basically the pastor prayed in tongues. And then we were all meant to go back to church, but it had been rubbished because it's like this was the broad and easy path to destruction. And then we're, we're meant to go back. And the church counsellor, basically, rather than listening to me, told me what she thought I should think. So I'd gone back to church for a couple of weeks and then I was like, I am absolutely done because my faith had started to shake and sort of be very wobbly because my dad had condemned my mother's father to hell for being a lapsed Methodist. Um, And that's when that's when our bond became really central because it was he was already in my in in the house and, and obviously and we were seeing each other all the time. But that's when we started to really talk. I don't really know what was said. I just remember being just out of my skull with fear and not knowing where to turn. So I'd run into my mum's room. She'd be in bed, lying on the bed reading, and then running from that room into my sister's room. She didn't. She was just kind. I don't really know what was said, but she was just there. Safer. <laughs> I th- yeah, I think she put on some music, but I said it was too scary, so I asked her to turn it off. I th- yeah, I can't really tell you what was said because it's so long ago, but I just remember it being a reassuring presence and being utterly grateful that someone was there that was 
holding the space. And in my mind, I think she was okay. She wasn't going to hell because somehow she'd already been saved, even though she'd left the church. And I was very concerned about that. I was very concerned that everyone had to be saved. Mm. So I, it, it felt okay. It felt like, all right, she's not, she's not fallen. That's what you would call it. She's just not there at the moment. So she's all right. She's all right. I don't need to worry about her. And we would talk all the time, like really long conversations. Um, and he'd just be in my room or if I had a bathroom, like remembering it's, we were very prudish. So like he wouldn't sit in the bathroom with me. He'd be on the other side of the door. Or if it was him, then I'd sit on the other side of the door with him. And, and that I was saying, Tommy, that that kind of forged our friendship. Like that's yeah. what set it on the, the track it is now, I think. Yeah, I said that too. Yeah, and it's... It's almost like we had a similar experience. <laughs> it's almost came from the same womb or something. Um, I mean, you're trained to be a therapist now, so you understand what it is to sort of reprocess and reprocess and look at things from different perspectives. So, it, I mean, I guess you're doing it as a grown-up and a mother of two, da-da-da-da. But immediately after leaving the church and losing your faith and then being loyal and close to your brother and sharing that attitude you must have looked back at your very recent past together and that must have just been madness to talk about I mean you could never stop talking about that there'd be so much to unpack yeah that's exactly right and we are cult survivors like we because I think that the church was quite culty as well it wasn't called that but it has some such extreme beliefs around women's sexuality and around women's role there was no one in the leadership who was female they were stewardesses at the, at the most as in they could usher you to your seats was normal teenage life allowed to go on and did you do parties and sleepovers and hanging out with friends or were there lots of strict rules? you want to know when we got laid don't you no i don't want to know that i just want to know what it looked like to be children who <laughs> how dare you had, had such <laughs> you a sort of waiting <laughs> It was, conceptions. <laughs> yeah. it was the mention of holes earlier i mean really. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no i just want to know because i'm presuming there was youth groups and teaching and socializing in a bubble and and fingering yes catherine for god's <laughs> sake some fingering <laughs> <laughs> so what was teenage life like come on humor me charlie my feeling is that we had a really bizarre thing which really revolved around dad's mental health. As I experience it, life happens on so many levels. It was possible to have a complete fallout with him, him condemn me to hell, and then me to go carry on with going back to school and playing hockey and having a, I would say, probably quite a normal time as a young person. I had great friends at school. I was lucky with school because I had a good cohort. I was really sporty and talented and I was good at the academic stuff and I liked it I wanted to do it and I was well supported by my teachers and stuff I would say Tommy had a I I, my feeling is Tommy you had a different experience do you think that's true that you had a different experience then at at school and with your relationship with your dad and all of that hit you at a different point then Tom uh yes uh I think uh, for whatever reason I was sort of traumatized and then re-traumatized in a short space of time and I think that meant that I was sort of frazzled in a different way to Charlie um in that I was just terrified and then I was I, I I sort of looking back I could feel myself sort of breaking splintering the impact of being scared so much and being controlled and um corrected and not allowed to express myself I just felt I could the depression crept in and then from there it was like oh god 
I was in a really low place from about 12 onwards and trying to leave the church but then being scared enough to come back and then even the fear didn't work anymore you know I remember being very scared one night and ringing my didn't know who to ring and I think Charlie was out and I rang uh, I went through the directory and there was a one of my teachers we were given all the phone numbers of all the staff at school it was a little school so I rang my gym teacher and asked if I could speak to his wife because in my head she was really kind so I, I rang her and had a chat about how scared I was and then in the morning she told my head teacher and he cornered me and shouted at me and said don't you dare ever call my staff one of my staff ever again so I was like I was, you know, I was a kid who had a breakdown, essentially, who was now being told not to reach out to the people. So it was like, I remember just looking back, that's one of those where you go, fucking hell, that's like a lonely place to be when you're 12. And, yeah. and then going home and then having your dad pray over you and tell you, you know, about salvation and how the Lord is with you. And yeah, I mean, it's so, yeah, I think from then on, I was sort of reeling and maladapted socially I couldn't I just didn't know how to do it but I remember being I remember being quite good looking like when I was about 15 I remember being cute and I was like the girls were flirting with me I had no clue what to do with it not a clue and that, and I remember feeling like oh this is a whole new world that could open but didn't hmm. but I've been smashing birds for the last 10 years to make up for it so it's fine we'll keep that in definitely yeah keep that cool. in yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so <laughs> sensitive tommy so mm, sensitive just yeah. at the end there yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah, beautiful yeah, leave it in <laughs> let's talk about comedy shall we i just wonder where that all came from the idea that mm, this might actually be something i do that's what my life could be i remember when i was 21 ringing charlie because i'd spent i would be i'd watched a ben elton video and was so buzzing from it that i spent all night thinking i was ben elton and got out a pad that she'd given me and used it and then rang her in the morning like beside myself thinking right I'm a comedian now she's going to love this and Charlie just listened very quietly in that way that she does where she doesn't give you anything unless it's genuine oh, and and you went <laughs> once and then it took about eight years to recover and then I, <laughs> then I started doing open mic <laughs> but did you tell her after you took a bombed over the phone with your pad of jokes <laughs> your highly derivative Ben Elton jokes did you tell her like this is this is it now this is this is the new the new aim I did I just thought I was just excited I just rang her up and said hello Charlie it's me Tom <laughs> hello ladies and gentlemen <laughs> Margaret Thatcher yeah I was excited I thought this could be it this could be something you know and I was desperate for something so you know to have Charlie's total silence was very painful because she was the person I wanted to be impressed maybe that's quite refining so then you you know you got good and now she is impressed right so it worked in the end yeah yeah it took a while it took a while I've mellowed a lot as well Tom <laughs> your standards have dropped you've mellowed <laughs> <laughs> I've fattened <laughs> you've fattened and, and I've lost all hope <laughs> yeah that combination so... has really been good for me actually <laughs> so how would you describe um Tom's character? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Well, he's uh, funny, right? <laughs> yeah, there's, he's funny. I'd say he's uh, he's a very intelligent chap, very thoughtful. I'd say very spiritual. I would, I'd never use that word to describe myself. I just think that's really embarrassing. <laughs> I'm a very spiritual person. That basically means you're not. You're an idiot. <laughs> I don't think uh, she meant you're an idiot. <laughs> 
I just I think probably Phyllis I don't know what the word is I just I don't feel fully engaged in things in a I'm slightly removed I think uh, when you're a kid and you're sort of taught to distance yourself from the world and from sin and and temptation it kind of makes you um more of an outsider so I think I, that lends itself to the Buddhist stuff of being a witness and um, that kind of side of things. Mm. It's hard to, hard to explain. And he's done the work. He's earned that. He's made it himself. He's very trendy. He's always got the right trainers on. There's a sense of things are going to happen. He's one of those people who instigates. He's a proper artist. He's not an emulator. He's, uh, yeah, he's an instigator. Oh, wow, that's amazing. I mean, yeah, that's an amazing accolade to give somebody, I think. Yeah. I like his hair. Good hair. <laughs> good fringe. Uh, good fringe. Long, wonky nose. And he's taller than me, which I also really like because I'm tall. And I like the fact that he's taller. And he'll, yeah, it's a slightly protective thing going on, I think. Ooh. Charlie is... Oh, it's, that's a brilliant question. Um, she's incredibly engaged, incredibly funny, quite scattered. She has big notions. She has big aspirations that then suddenly change or feel like they suddenly change. She's f uh, a seeker and is coming to find herself quite late in life, it seems. She's um, been sort of searching and searching and searching for a long, long time. Mm. But yeah, it seems like she's finally finding some ground that she that is steady. You know, this podcast is all about um, kind of nuclear family stories and immediate family stories, but it's sponsored this season by Find My Past, which are the family history people. And they've looked into kind of stories from not just your nuclear family, which are fairly hair-raising and extraordinary, but they've had to look in your family history. So you gave some names, right? I've got the names that you gave. Your maternal grandmother, Muriel Catherine Harborough, right? Mm-hmm. So she was born in Southport in Lancashire, to her parents, I think you gave this name as well, potentially, Alfred Harbour and Mary Jane Webster. Mm -hmm. And in the census in 1921, Alfred um, was a professor of music, but it says, you, you may know this, you may not, it says here his story is way more interesting than that, and there's the actual census entry with his handwriting on, which is really lovely. On the 12th of December 1921, in the Liverpool Echo, Alfred Harbour is featured as the composer of a piece of music called The Horizon... Do you know about this? No. And he is considered by many, and there's an article here from the newspaper, to be one of the forgotten figures of English music. Mm. His work, Crossing the Bar, a dramatic symphonic cantana, was his most ambitious project and it used the words by Alfred Lord Tennyson and was dedicated to Her Majesty Queen Alexandra and published in 1909. Did you know that? No. Did you know that, Charlie? No, we've got an auntie called Alexandra. I bet that's why. Googie. Yeah. So in the Musical Times on the 1st of April 1894, 
is the announcement of his work with the full orchestra, the chorus and um, everything mm. else with Tennyson's poem. He married a woman called Jane Mann, who he had a large family with eight children. She passed away in 1921 and um, he then married a young pupil who was 24 and he was 70. Mm. Oh, my God. Dirty dog. <laughs> and Granny's the... the what the came of that? Yes, yeah. Muriel Catherine. So Muriel's parents were 70 and 24? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of music in the family. Is there? Hmm, a lot of mu- musical people. We can so all t- sing. Was that a churchy thing or was that... Mm. <laughs> Partly, yeah. Yeah, if that doesn't inspire you, if that doesn't make you want to become, <laughs> become a Join, singer... sign up. The sign of the <laughs> sight of those wobbly bums in faded blue Levi's in front of us with their arms in the air murmuring... Jesus is our Lord and Saviour. Shine, Jesus, shine. Thank you to Tom and to Charlie, and thank you too for listening. Catherine just asked me about to describe your character. I've never had to do that before, it was exhausting. Yeah. Impossible, so impossible. Time, I'm quite complex, right? Yeah, you're very complex, completely contradictory, utterly silly, and quite facile. So it's really tricky to do justice to that. <laughs> this is the end of season three of Relatively. If you've enjoyed it, please do rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps others find it. Or you could just share it with your brother or sister. Tom is at the Edinburgh Festival this August. The links to the tickets are in the show notes and he's absolutely brilliant. I'd also like to say a huge thank you to our sponsors for this season of Relatively, Find My Past, for digging into their extraordinary records and uncovering the surprising and often revelatory family stories, some of which you've heard today. Find My Past is the only place online where you can access the 1921 census. So if you want to start your family tree or add colour to what you know already, then findmypast.co.uk is the place to do it. Thank you to Tanita Tickerham for letting us use her amazing song. This is a pocket production and sound design is by Nick Carter at mixsonics.com. Tradition of love and heat Stand by the fireside Now the rain may fall Your father's calling you You still feel safe inside Only your ma's too proud Your brother's ignoring you You still feel safe inside Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time What a wonderful, wonderful podcast. Isn't she just lovely? She's absolutely lovely, darling. She's absolutely lovely. What a lovely, lovely woman. It's beautiful. She deals with some very uncomfortable subjects just brilliantly. Yes. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.